Hear the word of the Lord from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 15 to 23, sung in song. There's a response for the congregation when you hear or see hallelujah. You can follow me and respond to each section of the verse. of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, all things were made by Him. In heaven and on earth, all things were created through Him, before Him, all that is visible and invisible.
How's everyone doing this morning? Good. Good? Good. Great? Great. Awesome? Awesome. All right, good. I just want to make sure with the levels. Happy Mother's Day. Say that again. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. I think the world of mothers, I think mothers are incredible. Mothers are wonderful. My mother is a wonderful lady. My wife is a wonderful mother. I will say this about my mother, though. I love my mother. She's a wonderful mother. But... I can acknowledge this, being her son now for 40, almost, how old am I? Am I 40? 41, okay, I can't remember how old I was. For 41 years, being a son to my mother, I really couldn't remember how old I was, oh my goodness. Uh, being a son to my mother for 41 years, that my mother, while I love her to death, I think she's one of the best mothers in the world, she can be a little crazy in their love. Am I right? Mothers, I feel like that song Beyonce, Crazy in Love, I think that's mothers. Mothers are a little crazy in their love. I recently saw a video of the craziest mother-in-law bride exchanges at a wedding possible. There's this bride, this is at a wedding, this is being recorded, and there's this bride at her wedding who was reading her vows that she personally wrote. So she's reading her vows, at the end of it she said to her groom, her husband, or about to be husband, said, and I love you, and I love you for all your flaws. And the groom's mother stands up, shouts out, and says, he has no flaws. In the middle of the wedding. You're thinking, wow, this is a good wedding, right? (laughs) She actually stands up and yells, he has no flaws in the middle of the wedding. Crazy stuff. And I may not say that sometimes mothers may not see the lies or the truths about their children. They're so in love often about their children. Specifically, I'm going to say it. I admit it because I have a mother who's a mother-in-law to my wife. That Sometimes mothers of sons, they don't see all the negatives about their sons sometimes. Some of you guys understand what I'm saying? I feel a lot of brides in here are saying, I know what you're saying. <laughs> they might cover up the truth or, or they just love them so much that they don't see the truth or don't see the, the other stuff about them. You guys ready? This is now my segue to how this fits into the sermon. You see, one of the reasons Paul wrote his letter to the Colossians is that the main reason he wrote his letter to the Colossians is to make sure that they don't fall into false teaching. He wrote them truth because he saw that they sometimes could love so hard that maybe they would let false teaching come into their midst. Sometimes maybe they'd, they started off so well, but Paul's like, no, you guys are letting false teachers come and teach you wrong doctrine. It might have started off with good reasons. It might have been like, oh, you have good thoughts, share. But those sharing led to maybe too much believing or too much understanding to led to too much believing led to false doctrine, false teaching that was anti the gospel. Whatever the reason was, that led to false teaching, false teaching was coming upon the Colossians. It was coming in and they were, Paul hearing about this from prison wanted to, to write to them saying, no, you guys are doing so well. Don't give in to false teaching. Remember the truth of the gospel that was taught to you and stay walking in that. So this little church, these false teachers are coming and they're teaching wrong ideas. Ideas like Jesus was important. Jesus was prominent, but he was not preeminent. They claimed that maybe Jesus was maybe an angelic emanation of God, but not God himself. Maybe he was another created being like angels, but he wasn't really God. They would deny the deity and the the humanity of Jesus. They'd go both ways. 
And Paul wouldn't stand by for this false teaching. So even from jail, he had to send this letter to make sure they didn't fall into this false teaching. He wanted them to know first and foremost, without any shadow of a doubt, with full and utter conviction that Jesus is supreme, that Jesus is preeminent, that Jesus is the most important. So in these verses, there's some deep doctrinal truths about who Jesus is. Now, many biblical scholars believe that this first section of scripture here could have been a hymn or a song or a poem that may have been circulating in the early church. It comes across like a song to teach sound doctrine about Jesus. So that's actually one of the reasons why I thought it would be so perfect for Gina to sing our scripture this morning. She actually wrote that song before when she was doing a study in the book of Colossians. And I was like, ooh, I'm preaching on this. It fits perfectly. Maybe you'll have her sing that for us today. Because this actually, many scholars believe that was actually a song. And I love, one of the things I love about songs, it helps us remember, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but at least for me, songs help me remember. I'm one of those weird guys that I can quote you a random song lyric from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, like, like it's no problem. A song I might not have heard for 30 years. And I'm like, oh, that song? I got all the lyrics to that. But you tell me your name, I'm like, huh? <laughs> or what did I eat yesterday? I don't remember. I mean, it's so weird. My memory's so messed up, but for songs, I can quote you like the lyrics of a song I heard in middle school one time. There's a song, I, true story, I don't know why I'm gonna tell you this, I'll share it anyway. I remember in, in like elementary school, we had to sing a, a song in third grade with, we got to sing like, kind of like at a school presentation and it was Whitney Houston's, um, I believe the children are future, teaching them well. I still remember all the words to that song. I've probably never sung that song since then. But third grade I sang that song, I know all the words. Now I share all this randomly, just to, you know, because I wanted to, but also because scripture to, to lyrics, to music, to melody might be a very good way for you to remember scripture. Scripture to music could be that thing that you need when it's set to music, that, that moment when you need this scripture so badly you can start humming the lyrics, humming the melody, and all of a sudden the lyrics come to mind, and all of a sudden you remember that Christ is preeminent. I don't, know how many, I don't know about you guys, but there are many times where this right song at the right moment ministered to my heart. That's why I love when scripture is put to melody. When I was in seminary, I had to memorize um, the Westminster Confession of Faith um, fully in the Old English, which I think is a silly requirement, but I still had to do it. And it, I mean, it's just really long, and the only way I was able to do it is I had to buy a CD that actually like, had it all put to music. It was like three CDs set. I'm like, oh my gosh. But that's the only way I was able to remember every bit of the lyrics perfectly word for word. There's something beautiful about music and memory and bringing stuff to our heart that just kind of goes hand in hand. So I highly recommend you guys doing that sometimes. Um, but maybe that's why Paul put this little song in here. I mean, maybe Paul is right. He says, you know what? I'm going to put this song in here because I need my people to remember. He knows the power the way they work together. She's so like, I'm gonna write this song here, a song that maybe be circulating in the early church, maybe it's not, maybe it's a song that Paul wrote, I don't know. But I'm gonna put this song in here so that the people will remember what's most important, to not forget who Jesus is. You guys ever seen a show called Pawn Stars? Anybody, Pawn Stars? I used to love that show, okay? I used to love Pawn Stars. Anybody, who raised your hand have you ever heard of that show, Pawn Stars? Okay, it's this show that does, these guys own a pawn shop and they get some of the coolest, most random stuff into the store. Like someone would walk in with like a Jimi Hendrix signed guitar or a, like a Michael Jordan signed ba game used basketball or whatever it may be, there's just a whole bunch of memorabilia 
uh, maybe it could be a painting by a famous painter. I mean, all these random stuff would come into the store and they try to sell it, they try to negotiate the buying and selling of it. Now, one thing that would always happen is that the owner of the store would bring in an expert to make sure that the item was legit and not a forgery. Right? They claim that, oh, hey, I got Michael Jordan's, you know, he played, this is his basketball that they used during the flu game, and it's signed by Michael Jordan, which would be worth a lot of money. So they bring in an expert, and the expert would be like, well, let's take a look. He says, I have an example of Michael Jordan's signature that we know is legitimate, because we have video recordings of him signing this. So they compare the signatures, they look at the item, and they know like, how the ink would play if he really signed it in a certain way, and all this kind of stuff. And they evaluate it and say, this is a forgery. This is legit. And be worth a different amount of money based on whether it was legit or forgery. You guys with me so far? My people, I want you to hear this. And don't miss this. The best way for you to know what is fake or what is false is for you to know the real thing so very well. Can I say that again? The best way for you to know what is fake or false is for you to know the real thing so well. If somebody came up to me and said, Lawrence, I got an ice cold fresh Coke Zero for you, and I grabbed that thing and I drank it, I could tell you right away whether it's fake or false. I could tell you if it was a Pepsi Max, I could tell you if it was a Diet Cheer Wine or Diet Dr. Pepper, I would know. I could even tell you if it was old. I know the real thing that well. I know Coke Zero that well. I probably shouldn't, but I do. If it's not the real thing, I'm gonna just spit it out. I'm like, oh, don't give me this, how dare you? Paul is telling the Colossians here, how do you stay away from false teaching? How do you stay away from counterfeit gospel? Look, behold, know, and love the real thing. Do you hear that? My people, do you, how do you stay away from false idols? How do you stay away from idols in your life? How do you stay away from bad teaching? Look and know the real Jesus. Fall in love with him. Know him so well that the counterfeit makes you want to just spit it out. Hear my heart, people. May you be about the business of knowing him and falling deeper in love with Jesus. Our passage is Paul giving his people a song, reminding them how amazing Jesus is. This is so important because without a proper view of Christ, you'll never learn to live the life of Christ at the center. As John Stott puts it, nothing is more important for Christian discipleship than a fresh, clear, true vision of an authentic Jesus. Guys, let me tell you right now, you can be all about the business, we can meet, the pastors can be all about the business of discipling you up, growing in the Lord, becoming more Christ-like, but if you don't see and know and love the real Jesus, that's just empty works. Our first mission, our first aim, my first aim here for you is to behold and to gaze upon and to see the beauty of Jesus for who he really is. Not a fake vision, but the real, authentic Jesus and let that be what transforms your life. We've done a good job of going to church in this country, right? We've done a good job maybe of liking community or even being together, We've done a poor job sometimes is falling deeper in love with Jesus. And that's what we need to be about. And that changes everything. That's when you can tell the counterfeits is when you're so in love with the real thing. In our verses this morning, Paul answers three questions about the person of Christ. 
Who is Jesus in relation to God? Who is Jesus in relation to creation? And who is Jesus in relation to the church? And here the, the answer is, number one, in relation to God, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Two, he's in relation to creation. He's the firstborn over all creation. And in relation to the church, Jesus is the head of the body of the church. So I'm gonna, we're going to go through and we're going to look at those descriptions so that we can get a deeper look on who Jesus is, his beauty, his worth, his supremacy. And as we see that Christ is supreme over all things, which is why Christ is central to all things, which is why we're called to live the Christ-centered life. So we look at these three descriptions. Number one, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That's what Colossians 1.15 says, Son is the image of the invisible God. The Bible tells us that God is spirit, which means that he's invisible. 1 Timothy 6.16 says, God lives in an unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see. So the question is, guys, have you ever, like, physically, with your own eyes, seen God? But Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And when Jesus came, the invisible God became visible. And the word translated image here in this verse is a word that often means copy or exact representation. And it's, used, it's often it's been used in the New Testament for uh, the image of a coin. So does anybody here know what Abraham Lincoln looks like? Have you ever seen Abraham Lincoln in person? Nobody's ever seen Abraham Lincoln, right? I mean, I don't think anybody's old enough to have seen Abraham Lincoln in person, right? But do you know what he looks like? Why do you know what he looks like? How could you, you've never seen him. How do you know what he looks like? Huh? He's on a penny. Lincoln Memorial. He, his, his image is there. You can see what he looks like. Hebrews 1, 3 says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. The word translated image also could be translated as Manifestation. In John 14, when Jesus was talking to his disciples about God, Philip asked him, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So Philip, how can you say, show me the Father? You see, Jesus is telling Philip, Philip, you've been with me. You've seen me. How can you say, show me the Father? You've seen me, so you've seen the Father. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. We read in John, John 1 18, no one has seen, ever seen God, but God, the one and the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. What John is saying is God who is invisible became visible through Jesus Christ. So that's who Jesus is in relation to God. He's the image of the invisible God. Guys, here's what I want you to get, is that when we say Jesus is the image, the very manifestation of the invisible God is our way of knowing the unknowable, of seeing the unseeable. It's this very concept of a tra transcendent God who is bigger in scope and scale than we could ever imagine was made known to us purposefully through the work and manifestation of Jesus Christ. Guys, what I want you to get is this, this bigger than we can ever comprehend God, who knows everything and controls all things, decided to make himself known and reveal himself to us personally. That's what this means when he says he's the image of the invisible God. We can now know a little bit more about what a transcendent God is like. We can tell some of his attributes, his characteristics, his nature, and his character by seeing Jesus. And we can say now with full confidence, I know God because I've seen Jesus. 
I know his ways. I know his heart. He manifested himself so that I can know him. See, here's the cool thing about human beings, right? Here's the cool thing about Christianity that I believe. Is I believe, this is one of my, my, one of my professors, kind of one of his favorite apologetics that he used to do, and I, I, just, I, I just kind of love this, is that I believe if we look at the nature of human beings, we see that we are interconnected people that want to be known, that want to know each other and want personally to be known. There's something innate about us that wants to do that. We want to be known, I always say, that we want to be known and we want to be loved. And if you look at the concept of, of religion, and you look at the concept of a, of, of a transcendent God, only in the God of the Bible do we see the idea of a transcendent God who seems unknowable, infinite, and beyond us can somehow be known because he manifests himself fully man and fully God in Jesus. How incredible is that? That in the God of the Bible, he chose to make the invisible visible. Two, Jesus is firstborn over all creation. This is who Jesus is in relation to creation. And we see that in verse 15 and 17, he says, the firstborn over all creation. For him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth. He's, skip to 17, he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. These are amazing words, staggering in the description of Christ and his relationship to creation. This phrase, firstborn over all creation, is an important phrase to understand correctly. It's been used incorrectly over the years. As a matter of fact, there was an early heresy in the church called Arianism. Arianism was this false teaching that Jesus was created rather than eternal. It's this distortion of who Jesus was. They're saying he's the firstborn of creation means that he was actually created. He wasn't always God. He wasn't always eternal. He wasn't always in being. But that is not what this means here by saying firstborn of creation. In the Bible, firstborn does not necessarily mean the order in what was born or created. It means the one who has the right of inheritance. In fact, the firstborn was used as a title for the Messiah who would rule over and inherit God's kingdom. For example, God said about the Messiah in Psalm 89:27, I'll appoint him my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. And so the phrase the firstborn over creation does not mean that Christ was the first created being. Rather, it means Christ's superiority over all creation, that he's the ruler and heir over all creation. Does that make sense? You guys with me? Now you have to understand what I'm saying. You can shake your head if you're like, I have no clue what you're saying. It's okay. All right, good. So as the first one of all creation, Jesus is both ruler and heir. So who is Jesus in relation to creation? He's the firstborn. He's the ruler over all. And in that context means these three points. The next three uh, points that he says is that because he's the firstborn of creation, he's one. That means Jesus created all things. Two, Jesus existed before all things. And three, Jesus sustains all things. If we see in verse 16, it says, for by him all things were created. Once again, Jesus created all things. If he, um, if he created all things, then he cannot be a part of creation himself. He created. When Paul says Jesus created all things, he really means all things. He's referring back to Genesis 1 when he says the heavens and the earth were made. That God made the heavens and the earth. Jesus tells us that God created the heavens and the earth, and Colossians is saying that Jesus did the same thing. What Paul is saying in the conclusion is, is unmistakable. Jesus is God, and all things were created by him. And I love how Paul Colossians goes further. Things in heaven and on earth, Jesus created, were further described as visible and the invisible. He created both the physical and the spiritual world. It all came through Jesus. 
He's the firstborn, he's the ruler, he's supreme. Two, Jesus existed before all things. Another thing Colossians tells us about Jesus that the firstborn over all creation is that he existed previous. In John 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So in the beginning, before anything had yet been created, Jesus was with God, he was God. John 8, 58, Jesus told the Jews this incredible one sentence. He says, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. Remarkable statement, because that phrase, I am, was a divine name for God. And when Jews heard him say this, they picked up stones to stone him. Because in claiming this name for himself, he was claiming to be none other than the eternal God, who always was, and always is, and always will be. Literally, Jesus said, before Abraham was born, before the patriarch of their religion was even born, I am. I am God. I am before all things. This is a proclamation Jesus made about himself. So if you ever hear teaching where it says Jesus never called himself God, incorrect. He did over and over again. That's why he, they wanted to kill him over and over again. The Nicene Creed puts it this way, that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds. God the Father is eternally the Father, and Jesus Christ is eternally the Son. There was never a time when God the Father was not God the Father, because there was never a time when Jesus was not the Son. There was a time when Lawrence was not a father. I didn't become a father until my first child came into existence. But God the Father has always been Father because Jesus has always been Son. Jesus never came into existence. Just like God the Father has always existed, so Jesus has always existed. He's eternal. Now I know this is a lot of weird words and concepts, seem kind of difficult and foreign, but I want you guys to understand something that's just so mind-boggling and mind-blowing, is that he always has been. He's always existed. And for me, this is such a hard concept. My finite little tiny speck of a brain looks at this, deals with this, and it just goes, ow. It does. You know, some of these deep philosophies, I'm like, what? Eternity, forever, always existing. I can't do it. It's like I'm trying to, like, no, I got nothing. I'm trying to multiply like 15,799,000, whatever, times like all, all these numbers. I'm like, my mind just can't do it. But I want to show you that by making these statements, what you need to take away from this is he is supreme. He is preeminent. He is God. And he's so far beyond us. Can I tell you this, guys? When I say God is beyond us, here's our problem. I've said this before. We kind of sometimes think about God as just being a slightly smarter version of us. We do, honestly, because we can't comprehend much more. Right? We think of God as like, well, maybe he's just a little bit more evolved, a little smarter, more powerful version of us. You know, we watch the movie like Bruce Almighty or something like that. You know, we picture Morgan Freeman. Like, I can picture them. No, God is not just a slightly smarter version of us. Can I tell you that? He's infinitely, infinitely beyond us. Like to compare God, like compare us to an ant is not even a comparison between God and us. Which he's so much more than we are to an ant. Do you hear me? He's so ridiculously powerful, so amazingly complex, that even like the strands of hairs on our heads, the amount of us that exist in this world, the sand, all that, nothing to him. The universe he created with his word. He's not just a little bit beyond us. He is God. Do you get that? May that bring you comfort. May that bring you comfort. 
Because for me personally, there are times at night when I would go to bed and I, kept, I try to con- grasp the concept of eternity. I try to grasp the concept of forever. I try to grasp the concept of beyond and more. And I get freaked out. I get scared because I can't. And my, my mind goes crazy on me. And the only thing I can choose to rest on is God is so much bigger. He's so much more. So I'm just going to trust him. Him that was revealed through Jesus. His character. He chose to show us. He existed before all things. And then three, he sustains all things. He sustains all things. Colossians 1.17 says, he's before all things. In him, all things hold together. So he's not just a creator, he's a sustainer. Hebrews 1.3 puts it this way. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. He sustains all things. God did not just wind up creation, let it go, see what happens. He's intimately involved in creation. And here in Colossians, God's providential care of the universe is revealed as the sustaining power of Jesus, the firstborn over all creation. The galaxies spin at his command. Every star, every planet, every atom, every molecule at every moment is completely and totally dependent on Jesus Christ. If Christ should cease to exist, or cease to sustain that is, the creation would cease to exist. Every breath you take in this world is dependent on the sustaining power of Jesus Christ. He's supreme over creation in the past, in the present, and in the future. He's supreme over creation in the past because he's the creator of all things. He's supreme over creation in the present because he's the sustainer of all things. And he's supreme over creation in the future because he's the heir of all things. So what do we mean when we say Jesus is the firstborn over all creation? He created all things. He inherits all things. He existed before all things. He sustains all things. That is who Jesus is. Do you see him? That's who Jesus is. Back to our original point in relation to us. Three, Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Once again, we're fixing our eyes at Jesus because we want to know him better and deeper and fall deeper in love with him. So far, we've seen who Jesus is in relation to God and then in relation to creation. Now we come to the third point. Who is Jesus in relation to the church? And we find the answer here in verse 18. It says that he is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning of the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. It's emphatic. He is the head of the body. No human being on earth is the head of the church. That distinction belongs to Jesus and him alone. He is the head of the church. The church is the body of Christ, and Jesus is the head. That means there's a living relationship between Christ and the church. And even as there's a living relationship between a head and a body exists. So as the body of Christ, we are united with Christ, who is our head. Paul goes on to define what he means when he says Christ is the head of the church. So he tells us two things in particular. As the head of the church, it means that one, he is the beginning of the church. And two, he's the firstborn from among the dead. He's the beginning of the church. The word head refers to both source and authority. As the beginning of the church, Jesus is both the founder and ruler of the church. The church was founded through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It was people who were called out by the work of Jesus. He is first cause and first mover. 
I love the way Hebrews 12 puts it. It says, let us fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and, what was it? Perfecter, finisher of our faith. I love that. See, he's the one who created it, but he's also the one who sustains us. Guys, can I tell you this right now? True story. Just hear this right now. That there is nothing the world and the liberals and, the, and this or the conservatives or the media or the, or the politics, or, there's nothing they can do to stop the church of Jesus Christ. Do you hear that? There's nothing. And there's nothing that we, no matter how influential we think we are, nothing that will stop the move of Jesus Christ's church. It will advance. And it will move because he's the author and perfecter. He's the finisher and creator of our faith. His will will be done. Because he is sovereign and sustainer. And he sustains his body, the church. What confidence that is. There's a kid when I was growing up. We, do you guys do field day in elementary school? Right? Well, it was always like this one class. And my class had this field day. We, were always, we always did relay races as part of field day. And as part of relay races, we had this one kid in my school. His name was Billy. And he was like ridiculously fast. Like the fastest kid in the school by far, right? So we'd always get up and we'd go start our relay race and the rest of us weren't that fast, but we were fast enough, you know, we'd run and we'd just try to stay kind of close, just stay kind of close. But as soon as Billy was up, oh, it's over. We won this thing, right? So we do a relay race, we're ready, and all of a sudden we're, we're into it, we're going as fast as we can, and we're like, oh, come on, we can't win, we can't win, but we're, we're getting a little further, further behind. And all of a sudden we looked and we remembered, oh, hey, Billy's gonna run the anchor leg. We're okay. We were confident. We knew this, we had this thing won because Billy was running. Guys, you understand the, the confidence that we have? Who's going to finish the anchor leg for us? Jesus. He, I mean, in my mind, I, I picture this mega race, this mega relay race, and here's like David. David ran. He did his part. You know, Moses did his thing, you know? Guys, Moses in his robes. He's running, you know? And I'm picturing these incredible people, and they all ran their leg. They all ran their leg, and we're all running, and he's called you. He's called me, and we're running up. Yeah, doing our part. We're part of the team, and it's going great. We're running this race, and sometimes it feels like we're losing, right? Sometimes it feels like, man, this is hard, and they're, they're, they seem really fast. Other team seems really good, and it seems like they're ahead of us, and we're, we're struggling. And we get down, but then we got to remember who's going to finish the race for us. It's Jesus. He runs that anchor leg. All right. He's better than Billy. And Billy was fast. Jesus is faster. What confidence that we have in that. He's the head. He's the beginning of the church. He's also the firstborn from among the dead. Now the first thing we should grasp from this verse is it's still an amazing fact that after all these years, hear this, that Jesus is alive. He rose from the dead. We serve a risen Savior who is alive forever. Christ's resurrection is the basis of a faith in our life. There's no church or faith without Christ's resurrection. Jesus is alive. And people have tried for countless years to disprove it, but they cannot because he is risen. But not only that, it gets even better. Jesus not only rose from the dead, but he's the firstborn from among the dead. And that means that we also will be raised from the dead. That means that we also can say, death, you do not have the final word over us. Death, where is your sting? Verse 15 told us that Christ is the firstborn of all creation. Verse 18 now tells he's firstborn among the dead. 
Now, this is not necessarily because he's the first one to be raised from the dead. Rather, just as in verse 15, it shows it means supremacy. That Christ's resurrection is the basis for all other resurrections. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we also will be raised from the dead. We find this same teaching expressed in a slightly different way in 1 Corinthians 15, where Christ is described as a first fruit rather than the firstborn. This is what it says. 1 Corinthians 15, 20-23. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. At harvest time, the first fruits were an indication of what, what was to come. As the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, the resurrected Jesus was an indication that we too will be raised from the dead. The firstborn from among the dead carries a similar meaning to first fruits. Because Jesus is the head of the body, and because Jesus rose from the dead, we who are part of the body of Christ, the church, will be also raised from the dead. Christ is supreme over everything. He's supreme over all things. He should always have first place. First place in the universe, first place in the church, first place in your own heart. The false teachers at Colossae try to move Jesus out of first place. But Christ is supreme. He's central. And he deserves first place in everything. And when he isn't, when he's not supreme, then the world is off kilter. It's out of whack. I read an article the other day about a possibility of the earth kind of moving off its axis, axis a little bit. I don't know how accurate this is. You guys, this is just an article that I read. It could be totally wrong and fake. If it is, sorry. For all you much better scientists than me, um, if it's not real, then ignore it, but get the point. But <laughs> the idea was supposedly that the earth can be tilted off its natural axis with the poles by distribution of weight. So if something happens, weight gets distributed differently, like you get a little off tilter. And supposedly this article says that if, if it moves off its axis a little bit, little things will happen. Days will get longer, weather will get more severe. But if it gets much off its axis that it's meant to be on, that we see much more extreme weather, much more extreme circumstances happening. Guys, if Jesus isn't supreme, if he's not preeminent in your life, if he's not priority number one, your life starts getting off kilter quickly. A little at first, but becomes extreme very soon. And here's Paul's call to you. Paul's reminder to you, it doesn't say, um, you better say some more you know, words that are more accurate or read more books or do anything else. His call to you is remember who Jesus is. His call to you is fall in love with him. See his worth, his beauty, his supremacy. Look upon Jesus and fall in love. Know the real thing so the false teachings won't get to you. Who or what is preeminent in your life? What would it be for you to have Jesus as supreme? Do you know him? Are you falling in love with him? Do you see his worth, his majesty, his glory? And does it floor you? You can't know him like this. 
And if you don't, I promise you, God of the universe has made himself known to you by manifesting himself in his son. This essence, the third part of the Trinity, second part of the Trinity came and became flesh and lived a perfect sinless life and died upon the cross and was resurrected so that you can know him. He's not going to stop there. He's pursuing you now. That if you don't know him, even now, you can. And he's pursuing you now. So if that's you, if you're here today and something resonates in your heart that Christ is supreme and you want to know him as supreme, that you want to know what that beauty is like and how it changes your life, I encourage you guys during our worship time to talk to one of the people with those yellow lanyards, talk to one of the pastors, talk to me. I'd love to talk to you about Jesus. And for the rest of us, may this remind you to fall deeper in love with him. May you sing a song of his glory and make him supreme in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the work of your son, that he is supreme over all creation, that he is the firstborn, that he is the ruler, he is the heir, he is sustainer. God, that every breath we take, every chemical reaction that exists, it all exists because Jesus sustains Thank you, Jesus. God, may we see the real thing. May we see the real gospel. May we see the real Jesus. May we see the real relationship. May we see who you are manifested. God, may we see and know you and be changed forever and no longer be susceptible to idols and false teaching. Receive all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.